Welcome to Pilgrim Church of the Firstborn. I'm Reverend Dr. Gina Chapasta of Pilgrim Church in Toronto here in Canada. Um, I trust that if you need more information concerning um, any concerns you might have um, personally or with other relatives, you can call me at 416-882-1164. That's 416-882-1164. And we are here to serve. This being, um, you know, they call it Palm Sunday. Um, this being a holy week, one would expect to deal with the traditional texts that would um, highlight the journey that led Jesus to the cross. And we will address that. And sometimes it can become so, you know, traditional for us to know that this is so and when it passes, that is it. As the song said, lest we forget Gethsemane, lest we, lest we forget God's love for us, because a cross is a symbol of God's love for us. Historically, God came and died for us as Jesus Christ rose from the dead and now has dealt with sin and has opened a way that we can get to him. In Genesis, we see there where access to the tree of life was blocked by God, that no one would enter. And all religions, with all their sophistications, cannot reach God. In fact, the word religion, in its etymological understanding, means to bind. Um, of course, bind in a sense of be connected to a deity, excuse me, but bind in the sense of to restrict, to asphyxiate, to um, hinder, to hold down. Christianity is not a religion. Just the opposite. It's not man's quest for God, as religions would teach, but God's quest for man, which is what Christianity is all about. And it teaches us that he, Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. And it is God who made the first move when Adam and Eve sinned. And man, Adam and Eve were in hiding, which all of us, we have been hiding. And God comes through the gospel and tears away that hiding and reaches us. As our sister read earlier in Ephesians chapter 2, is while we're dead in trespasses and sin that we were quickened. In Christ Jesus. So tonight, today I will be dealing with a very strange topic. 
one would say maybe sign off on me because it doesn't fit what is expected on a Sunday like this. I'm going to speak on the love that God hates. The love that God hates. And although the lesson was read concerning the journey to the cross, I'm going to show by the grace of God that the whole purpose of the cross and the dying of Jesus was to destroy the love that God hates, our love for sin. Proverbs chapter 6, verses 16 to 19. I will read from the King James Version. These six things doth the Lord hate. Yea, seven are an abomination unto him. A proud look, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood. A heart that deviseth wicked imaginations. Feet that be swift to run into evil. A false witness that speaks lies. And whosoever soweth discord among the brethren. Father, we thank you for your word. I pray as we embark on this brief study that at the end, we will see with more clarity and our lives will not be as usual as you examine us individually, that we will not be just observers listening to a sermon, but that your word will penetrate the hearts of every one of us, including myself. And may we begin to see the ugliness of sin and what 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 caused you to go to the cross i pray all these things in jesus name amen it's called the seven abominations of god god leads us with truth not with what with what we want to hear but rather what we need to hear our lives must be led by truth. We need to guard against sentimentality that is attached to the crucifixion. Jesus himself said, do not weep for me, as if to say the cross should not be. When they were weeping for Jesus at the cross, don't weep for me. And this is what Many of us, we sentimental, sentimental, sentiment, sentimentalize Christianity and the cross. We sentimentalize the cross in so many ways this day. We wear a little cross on our chest, um, almost as if to get some protection. We open our Bibles. We gesticulate um, concerning, you know, certain things to kind of um, almost superstitiously. We also um, have a tendency to feel more sympathy for Jesus on the cross. And we weep for him. Oh, 
this and that and that, instead of weeping about our sins. Jesus said, weep not for me. The crucifixion was God's sovereign solution to our love that God hates, our love for sin. The triumphal entry into Jerusalem was the intentional focus of Jesus to go straight to the temple. And although Jesus, the cleansing of the temple, there are kind of two cleansings of the temple. In John chapter 2, we see a first one there in earlier in his ministry. And then at the end of his ministry, we see the cleansing again, about three years apart. And so this cleansing, um, the final one in particular, why did Jesus do this? Why was the temple cleansed? What's the significance of that? Why is it that the temple is the focus of everything? He went into Jerusalem because he wanted to go to the temple. Because the temple represents the most holy place, the, the, the um, localized presence of God. It was a kind of replica, if you may, of the whole cosmos and God being the center of it. And his image bearers, who supposed to carry his image in the sense of his, his, um, his dictates and so on to govern things, were put in that temple, as it were. That is a mindset here. And instead, we're supposed to love God, love ourselves, and love each other, but that sin has caused that love to be distorted and to be misplaced. Now, let me give a little quick, this might take a little time, a quick background of this temple factor. An example of this was um, in Ezekiel chapter 8. You can read it when you have some time. This is some temple history. We're um, the outrageous idol associated with the king. In other words, Ezekiel 8, 5 to 6. We see the images and censors associated with the city leaders. Um, verses 7 to 13. We see the weeping over Tamos um, associated with the women. Verses 14 to 15. We see the worship of the sun. As you see, Ahuru Mazda um, is, is behind that too. And, and Horus um, associated with the priests. Ezekiel 8, 16 to 18. So in that section, those four things I'm going to give an overview on. Because when Jesus entered the temple to cleanse the temple, he is the, the, the centrality of the temple. And the motif of the temple is key in the going to the cross. The northern gate of the inner court, specifically, Ezekiel came to the temple. Now, Ezekiel was not there. But as a priest, he had a special interest not only in the temple, but also in all that happened there. That is so. We are the seat of the image of jealousy was no the seat of the image of jealousy. No, when I went to about jealousy, that has to do with love. The seat of jealousy. Let's tear away the peel away the, the facade here now and see what this is all about. In his vision, Ezekiel apparently saw an idolatrous image. 
the image of jealousy, a kind of displacement of Yahweh, it, so to speak. Yahweh cannot be displaced, but you know what I mean in, in the sense of this was happening in the temple. Standing in the inner court. This was likely right outside the temple building itself. It was called the image of jealousy because it provokes to jealousy in his temple. To jealousy. It was an insult both to God and to his temple and to his people. This is what Professor Taylor says. Both to God, his temple, and his people. It was God's. This is a love that God hates. Why were they? We're, let me tell you something. Where you, what your value? You love that thing. The greater the value, the greater the love. The more intense, the, 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 the greater the value, the more intense the love, the more sustained the love. And anything that disrupts that love, you will fight. You will get upset. Lord, help me to say it the way that I feel it in my soul. This was happening by his people in his temple, represented his, the temple represented his people as his image bearers. Temple, the place of pure love to God. That's what the temple supposed to house. People expressing their pure love to God. But wait, the great abominations that the house of Israel commits here, Ezekiel said, saw the image of jealousy and God told him, that it represented the great abominations of Israel. Um, then God tells him, now turn again, Ezekiel. This is Ezekiel, you know, being in a vision to God, spiritually seeing things as they are literally in Jerusalem. I don't want to get into the background too much because of time. You will see, he said, turn again, you will see greater abominations. What Israel saw was, what, what Ezekiel saw was bad enough. God now promised to show him worse things, greater abominations. Son of man, dig into the wall, God tells him. To see those greater abomination, abominations, Ezekiel had to dig through a wall to see in his vision what was really happening inside the temple itself. Ezekiel 8. Wicked things and blind men. And you can read um, the section there because of time. Um, the elders is mentioned there and the elders were lay leaders um, representing the people and so on. But elders, people, women, everybody was involved here. They were expressing their love. You don't, you don't worship what you hate. This is the love that God hates. 
Exegetical scholars state that it wasn't about what the leaders did in the temple, but the hidden place in their heart was filled with dark deeds of idolatry. So some scholars say that they are carried on their service as if all was right. They were carrying all the paraphernalia, they get up, they pray, they do everything, they do, everything was happening as normal. And some scholars say that yes, um, God took them into the temple, but God took them into the inner part of their hearts. Because that is where the love is, is really, that's where the, the fellowship with the, with the forbidden is taking place. That is where the romance with evil is happening. It talks about secret idolaters. There were secret idolaters, not open idolaters, but secret idolaters. What were they worshiping? They were worshiping what they loved and what they loved was forbidden by God. Proverbs chapter six talks about these seven things, these things that the Lord hates. And these things are found in our life. We're gonna to get to that in a moment. While the external rites of the temple of Yahweh were being observed, these very observances were made a cloak, a cloak for their thoughts, desires, activities of the heart. I'm not, I'm not making this up. This is the most hopeless stage and state of pollution, Professor Morgan says. The Lord does not see us. The Lord has forsaken us. This is what they were saying. They excuse their sin because they did not think Yahweh saw them. Either in their minds or their actions. Because they did not think of they also excused their sin because they believed God had forsaken Israel when in fact they had forsaken God. Sometimes when we think, oh boy, where's God? God I don't see God working in my life and all kinds of stuff. And we start to do these things and we think that God has moved. And then we start to go and try other things. We start to light our own fire and do our own stuff when we were the ones who have forsaken God. With this kind of rationalization, they permitted themselves to do anything they desired. The worship of Tamos came from Babylon through the Phoenicians, the Canaanites, and than the Greeks. Tamos mentioned nowhere else in the scriptures was a Babylonian um, um, Dumuzi, D-U-M-U-Z-I, Dumuzi, D-U-M-U-Z-I, um, beloved of Ishtar, and is to be identified with the Greek Adonis. This is what Professor Fairberg is saying. In other words, he dealt with the, the, the so-called sentimental deity. Um, dealt with the cycle of so-called death and resurrection. Dealt with fertility. In other words, 
it would die and the cyclone and, 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 and um, spring, it would come rise again. And some people think that this was what influenced the so-called Easter and all of that when actually Passover, in other words, Satan was mimicking everything that God, God did. And it is this, this cycle. So here we find the people of God back then, and Jesus knew about this because he was back then as a son. He saw all of that happening. And so the temple was central. Uh, he had to, God found a way to destroy, to, to get rid of, to change our love for what he hates. Then Ezekiel said, he brought me into the inner court of the Lord's house. And there at the door of the temple of the Lord, between the porch and the altar, were about 25 men with their backs towards the temple of the Lord and their faces toward the east. And they were worshiping their backs toward, and they were worshiping the sun toward the east. Their backs toward the temple and their faces toward the east. They're turning in the direction where their affection was, where their love was. You give attention to what you love, what you enjoy, what you find pleasure in. You give attention to that. And if you, if you find that you give more attention to, to what is wrong more than what is right, in what, what, you might not worry, are we giving attention? Are we loving what God hates? Or are, are we hating what God loves? Because if you love what God hates, it means that you hate what God loves. The sun cult in Israel, according to 2 Kings 21, verse 5, you can read that with, when you have time. Um, you know, Manasseh brought that in and corrupted everything. That's some history I don't want time to get into. But then there's a statement made at the end of it, all of this, where they say, put, put the branch to the nose, putting the branch to the nose. And, and if you study all the literature, there are about five or six different views on this putting the branch to the nose. Some people believe that um, it meant, um, you know, that they were worshiping things or the creation more than the creator, yes. It, and um, it means that the, the pleasure of enjoyment of fragrances um, in the sense of the spices and not, not spices, but also the, the, um, the when you burn the incense, they were now worshiping incense as a, a fact of spirituality with your senses. Other believe, others believe some other views I won't get into. But also, Professor Wright had another um, view here. He said, the branch held to the nose may have been an imitation of the Egyptian Anka, A-N-K-H, a symbol of life, which is shown in carvings as held to the nose. Or it may be 
connected with plants sacred to Tamuz and to some other god. In other words, the branch to the nose was that um, the Lord was saying, it, it, somebody, some others, others reverse it, that the Lord is saying that this place is, um, that the Lord is saying that this, that in this place, let me read this again. All that the Lord is saying is that in place of the pleasing order of honest sacrificial worship, as in Leviticus 1 verse 9, what God was is receiving from the Israelite was a stench in his nostrils. And I believe that this is, this is more accurate. A branch to my nose is what some scholars read as a more accurate reading of the Hebrew text. Instead of they putting a branch to their nose is a branch to God's nose. Now that, you might say, Pastor, why are you going through all these details? Very important. A branch to my nose is a more accurate reading. And it means all that the Lord is saying is that in place of the pleasing order of honest sacrificial worship, according to Leviticus 1 verse 9, what God was receiving from the Israelites would come as a stench into God's nose, nostrils. What we offer up to God is acceptable through Jesus Christ, thank God. What is our desire and love placement a stench to God? That's the question. Our culture is all about tolerance. So they don't necessarily have a category for discernment between good and evil. This is where the world is going right now. There's no category for good and evil. You know, so good and evil is kind of gray. Everything is tolerance. Falling over into this and is how you interpret good and evil. There's no absolutes. Everything seems to be relative. And so our text of Proverbs 6 verses 16 to 19 deals, these verses deal deeply with what God hates. And the question is asked as I, as I itemize them is what God hates, do we love these things? Because if we are practicing these things, it means that we love them. And th these are the things, this is a love that God hates. Now think about that for a while, a strange thing. That's not, not original to me. You know, if you're gonna intend you see that title too, and people put their different swing on it. But based upon the text here and going through this, the Lord has laid on my heart to emphasize this. The love that God hates. All these things in this list, Satan loves. So if you love what God hates, it means that you love what Satan loves. Do we love them? Do we love what Satan loves? Or do we hate 
what Satan loves. Because if we hate what Satan loves, it means that we love what God hates. If we love life, we should not murder. So if we hate our brother, that's a murderer. And if you hate your brother, that means you don't love life. If you love God, you will hate Satan. But Satan doesn't love us. There's no way in scripture where Satan so loved us. Is there anything in your life or my life that God mentions in this list? He hates. Yes, he hates that. Then we need to repent of it. We're told in 1 John 5, 1 John 2, 15 to 17. And the world is passing away along with its desires. Yes, those desires that are strong are passing away. And Whoever does the will of God abides forever. Love of the things of the world is the love that God hates. Now, what are these things of the world? The lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. That's in the New Testament. Those are the things that if we love them, God hates them. And so, pardon me if, if I hate sin. It's my love for righteousness that makes me hate sin. There's no vacuum here. It was God's love manifested in Christ Jesus, especially on the cross, for what was right that made Jesus whip and cleanse the temple. Because he hated what he saw and what he found in that place that had been turned into a den of thieves. They were loving manipulation. They were loving usury. They were loving uh, making profit of people. They were loving thingifying people, treating people like things. The absolutely perfect love of God demands an absolutely perfect hatred for those things which are contrary to that love. God loves perfectly and God hates perfectly. Love what God loves and hate what God hates. Romans 12 verse 9b. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. People will do anything, no matter how abs absurd, to avoid facing their own souls. You know that? That is so true. You can tell much about a person's character by how much truth they can tolerate. If a person starts to get upset with truth, it tells you about the character and the state of their soul. And so these six, six things which are mentioned here. Um, what things do you hate? I must ask. We might, if, if we list the things that, get a piece of paper and list the things that you hate. I challenge you. Pastor, we're talking about 
This is um Passover week coming up now. We're talking about preach about this another time. This is the whole purpose of the cross. It means that we're talking about the love that God hates. List some things that you hate. Let me help you. What things do you hate? We hate rejection. We hate insults. We hate stale bread. We hate body odor. Uh, we hate incompetence. We hate imperfection. We hate disorder, chaos, racism, homosexuality, transgenderism, incest, infidelity, adultery. The Lord hates these things too. The Lord hates sin. However, this list is a further revelation that what the Lord hates, we must also hate. At the core of this, it includes all kinds of sins in the whole range of sin because sin keeps sinful company. Sin is no sin stands alone. Overview. Of, of this, we see that God hates sin in any form. And the list here in Proverbs 6, verses 17 to 19 says it all. First is a haughty eye, haughty eyes, which pictures a proud and arrogant person with his nose or her nose in the air and eyes uplifted. The pride in this person's heart is reflected in the, in the person's mannerisms. Pride is perhaps the first thing on the list, not perhaps, it is the first thing on the list because it is at the heart of all rebellion against God and against truth. Beginning with Luther, Lucifer himself who cried out against God, I will ascend to the heavens, I will rise and my throne above the stars will be, will be there. And I will sit on the Mount of Assembly in the recesses of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds and I will make myself like the Most High. Isaiah 14 verses 13 to 14. That's pride. God hates pride. The Bible says it. And I'll, I'll recapitulate this as I go on in the next few minutes. In other words, I will come back to pride again and I'll restate our list, go back. And in, that, in this style of teaching, it will reinforce an, like a, in, an increased way of what we're talking about. Then the next thing that God hates is a lying tongue. Verse 17, and um, we toy with truth, denying and distorting it to gain some um, suppose advantage. We do that in our own thinking when we want to rationalize and justify our sinfulness and our reasons why we should not forgive or do this and all that. We love doing that. And that is the kind of love that God hates. But God can't tolerate deception of any kind. He expects us to live according to his truth, not according to all, how we interpret that truth. Thirdly, he hates a murderous 
murderous hands, verse 17. That speaks of people who, um, whose hatred and greed are so strong that they will kill rather than deny what they want. And they can kill not physically sometimes, but in sense of hating a person. You're in my way. God created life and established its sanctity. Life is sacred. Even the person that you don't like, life is sacred. That's why he ordained that murderers be put to death. Genesis 9 verse 6. God also hates wicked, wickedness of the heart and, and feet that are swift to shed blood. Sometimes people fall into sin in such a way that um, they set it up like that. You can see all the signs. And sometimes people hurry into it. They're hasty with their thinking. They snappy, snappy, snap. And they don't care. God hates wickedness of the heart. Not God in the heart. And then God hates false weakness and a divisive spirit. Verse 19. Bearing false weakness is telling lies about an innocent party. Of course, we say, Pastor, that does not apply to me. That can obstruct justice, destroy a reputation, and even destroy a life. When you bear false witnesses, when you reinterpret things in, in gossip and you besmirch somebody's character. I know that people are doing that to me. And I know that people are doing that to you. Because God wouldn't have stated it here. We love doing this thing. We love gossip, the Bible says, is sweet. It's like morsel in the mouth. It's not good. Those things characterize Christians, yes. We aren't immune to them. So be on your guard. Now, let me re re recapitulate. Do you love what God hates? The love that God hates. First, James chapter 1, verse 21 says, Get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent, and humbly accept the word planted in you which can save you. Second Corinthians 1, 7, verse 1 says, Let us purify ourselves from everything that contaminates body and spirit. Perfecting holiness out of reverence for God. Then Galatians chapter 3, verses 5 to 10. It talks about mortify therefore the members of your body upon the earth. Um, and it says, lie not one to another. And the whole list goes on there. Um, seeing, verse 9, seeing that you have put off the old man with his deeds and have put on the new humanity, which has been renewed after the knowledge and after the image of he who created him. And so, the question is asked again. Do we love what God hates? We always can attach, oh, what's a lovely service. I, I tune into another church and I, 
man, it was a lovely sermon about the crucifixion and so on. We get this year in, year out. And there is a place for that. But what is behind? What, what, why did we he go to the cross? What, what, is it, what is God pleased with? What, what, where, where is our love placed? I challenge you again with this and myself too. The love that God hates, just, just itemize and think seriously and examine yourself through the spirit. What, what things do you love? What sins do you love? Because sin is enjoyable. Talk about, talk about the pleasures of sin. And we love pleasure. But do we enjoy sin? Do we love sin? When you love something, you keep going back to it. And so we have a love relationship with sin. Jesus came through the spirit to break that because that's, that's a love that will destroy us. That love is a, is a distorted love. That love is a misplaced love. Just as all the women were worshiping Tamos, mythical, sentimental deity. They were, they were placing your love in the wrong place. They should be crying about Jerusalem and the sins of the people. It's amazing to see what we cry about. We get sentimental about watching movies and certain things. We get so touchy and, oh, it shouldn't be that. And yet still, we don't, we don't take our, the sins of what, in our closets, in our lives. We can point fingers there and there. The church needs to be that. The church needs to be that. Pastor need to do this, and the elders need this, and the members there, and that those group of members there, they need to do this, and this other group need to do that, and therefore I can. All this, but God is saying, question is asked. Examine what you love, who you love. Is that love informed by truth and God? Is that the love that God hates? Yes, God hates a certain kind of love. The love that God hates is the love of pride, eyes elated, elated attitude, scorning, looking down upon others, a look upon on them um, with disdain, a reckoning them of uh, unworthy to be looked upon, to even share with, even to be with, having a high opinion of one's own worth and merit, as if you are indispensable. Pride is the first of the hateful things mentioned. It being the first sin committed, as um, is probable, the sin of the angels and the first man and, and is so um, preeminent in the evil scheme of things in nature, the nature of sin. And is directed, directly opposed to God and his nature and against which he sets himself, for he resisteth the proud 
but gives grace to the humble. The pride of the heart shows itself in the eyes and in the attitude and in the way that we think and look about others as if we have it all together and that we need me. You need more than you need me more than anything else. So if you need me, you better you better shape up or else I'm gone. I'm, I'm, you know, you guys aren't good enough for me. That's pride. Pride can take different shapes. Sometimes we are proud in, oh, I'm, I'm a very strict person. I'm a strict Christian. Or, oh, I'm such a, I'm such a humble Christian. That can also be pride too. A lying tongue, a lying tongue. That is the second of the hateful things that God hates. A tongue that speaks falsehood knowingly and willingly with an intention to deceive others, to hurt the character of a neighbor or to um, flatter a friend in a most detestable way. It ought not to be so. It must be something that God observes and he knows because God is truth. Well, you can speak the truth, but speak the truth in love. And sometimes your interpretation of what is called truth, you have to be humble to say, is it, is it that I could be wrong here? I might, be, I might be misinterpreting you. But Satan is the father of lies. Hands that shed innocent blood. Pastor, that don't apply to me because I don't shed any innocent blood. Human blood. Hands that can shed innocent blood can refer to hating somebody. That's a murder. Now you might say, well, the person not innocent. Well, let God judge and do the judgment of the person. Let God deal with that. But if you hate somebody, the Bible says he who hates his brother is a murderer. And we know that no murderer has eternal life dwelling in them. And so therefore, so far we have seen the hearty look, pride, lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood. It could also be the hands that take up the phone, call somebody, and then hands that dial somebody, right? And, and, and spread some information along with the tongue. A lot of stuff going on underneath, you see? And God sees it and God knows it inside our hearts and outside. And we love to do these things because we keep doing them for years and years and years. If God's word can't change it, then nobody else can. These are the things that God hates, brethren and friends. And no matter how you interpret it, the very Jesus going to the cross to deal with our sins is to crush down this kind of love. Then the fourth one is a heart that divides its wicked imaginations. Thoughts of wickedness. 
thoughts of wickedness. Wait, no man, Christians don't have thoughts of wickedness, really. You know what, God, in, in the Psalms, God said, anybody who takes the word of God and throws it behind or just put it behind their minds or out of their sight, they're called wicked. The Bible says that. A wicked person, oh, that person is wicked because they commit another. By taking the word of God and not applying it, by shifting it in, into, your, into some other category of your mind and so on, the Bible calls that wicked. Because something is going to take place of that and it's not good. Which are framed and formed in the heart, and this being the source and fountain of all wickedness, is placed in the midst of these hateful and abominable things. Evil thoughts and designs, both against God and against other brethren and humans, are intended, which are forged and fabricated in the wickedness of our hearts, and may and may respect the depth of Satan in the Antichrist Christian beast of Rome. We see it in Revelation chapter 2, verse 24. In other words, there's no, there's no, you're doing what Satan loves. There's no middle ground here. Pastor, you're messing up my Sunday because I can't to get a good East, so-called Easter Sunday or Passover Sunday. I know you're leaving me bitter and upset. I'm not going to listen to you anymore. Okay. I'm not here to please anybody. I'm not here to, uh, and my frustration is that I'm not even saying it as it's supposed to be said. But by God's grace, whatever comes out in this cracked jar, as it were, then feet that are swift and running, in, running to evil. Feet that are swift, this is a euphemism for a, a, a quick to think a certain way. Quickness in thinking. Imagine and feel evil and in that order. There's a quickness in thinking, imagination, and an action. We can bum, 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 bum. We just kill off, brush off everything, the person. That's it. We are snappy, 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 snappy. Swift to run into evil. But do we, we like doing that? That's how I am. But but is that is that is that pleasing? You love that, but does God love that? And the end results of it is it is it is it good or sinful? To commit all manner of sin with greediness, readiness, especially murder. Proverbs one verse sixteen. You are very fast to run to evil in thought, imagination, feelings, and actions that are no good. Feet that are quick to rush into evil. To rush into evil is, a, is to demonstrate a great delight and enjoyment of evil and an eagerness to participate in it. In other words, the quickness is because of the enjoyment towards something that is not good quickness towards evil you love evil so therefore you're not slowness and you're resisting and fighting oh i don't like this no but quickness means oh i'm ready to serve i'm ready to do that in other words it's a love that god hates 
If I have anybody on the line still listening to Pastor, you're not eloquent. You don't make a lot of fumbling and mistake. Hey, not associate myself with Paul, but Paul was the most eloquent speaker either. So don't, we all have something, right? As long as you get the message. To rush into evil is to demonstrate a great delight. That's love right there. And enjoyment. You love this thing of evil. And an eagerness to participate in it. God hates enjoyment of evil. God says no. If God's word cannot change your heart and my heart, nothing else can. I cannot say, don't do this, don't do that. Who am I? If God say, I hate this, and, and we say, no, I love it. I can't come and say, you should hate it because you don't reject what God says that he hates. And you're now loving what God, this is some serious stuff, brethren. And we, we could just close the service now, move on, and then tomorrow is a new day, and we'll just forget about this. Let's look at something else now. What is coming up next? Friday is good. Friday is coming up. Let's look towards that. We are good to do those mental things. I want to quickly forget this message because one of the worst ones for the year. Okay, it, it disturbed me. I said earlier, our ability to handle truth is a reflection of the state of our character and our soul. God is telling us no telling us um, no because the very fact that we are doing these things is that we do not know. God is letting us know this because the very fact that we are doing these things is that we do not know biblically that we need to obey and do. Because disobedience is equal to witchcraft. False witness that speaketh, um, speaketh lies. False witness, of course, we, um, this is not a repetition of it, but um, it says you're he that bloweth lies. And any form of, of um, fabrication of the truth, if you, over, if you exaggerate the truth, it's a lie. If you understate the truth, it make it a lie. Any form of um, distortion of, of the facts and the truth is a lie. This makes the sixth and the seventh follows. The principle is so much deeper than mere avoidance of lying. Follow this now. This is talking about making the right confession. Now, what does this mean? The word confess means to say the same thing that God is saying. False witness against your sin in saying it is not sin when God says that it is. So you can bear false witness against your own sin. Where you say it is not sin as God says it's sin. That's bearing a false witness against something that is sinful. You're not saying the truth that God said it's so. Yes, it is so because God says it's truth. But you are distorting a chain. That is a form of bearing false witness. God hates that. Because then 
You're not going to deal with the problem. You're not going to deal with the sin. Thus, we are lying about our own sins. The word confess is a word that literally means to speak truth that is revealed by God. And if God, if this list here that I mentioned here in, 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 in Proverbs 6, verses 16 to 19, if we in any way try to fabricate that, and um, it's not, it, it, it covers other sins too, because pride is affected by um, jealousy and all kind of other things can, can fall out of that. But when you love God, you submit to God. But if you, if, but if you don't love God, you will not submit to his word and not obey it. And that is where pride is what causes that <coughs> not to happen. <coughs> Note, it causes, it says also the seventh one, he that sows discord among brethren. And I finish up here now. These are sores. No, they have two kinds of sores. Many of us sow seeds, the word of God, and it takes root and so on. But many of us are also sowers of discord. Now, you can speak the truth and it can cause discord, yes. But let us see what this means. Not discord, it can cause, um, discord is the wrong word. Um, but you can speak the truth and, and it will cause um, people not to agree with you and so on. But as long as the truth will stand, it's the truth that unites us. And so even if you have a different temperament, you, you, you might see things differently. Once you are, you endeavor to keep the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace, then um, anything that is divisive, that will separate you from the, the greater good of of fellowshiping with the body of Christ and so on, then that is so in discord, discord. It is a kind of conflict that is done in secret mainly and done by one who won't um, appeal through proper channels and who does not submit to proper authority. It is someone who stirs up conflict for the sole purpose of stirring up conflict. The word discord is equivalent to conflict. It is, it, is, it is causing discord contrary to the life of participation in the Trinity, one commentator said, because God brought us into this fellowship of believers. And there is this receiving, you're so different than me. I'm so different than you, but I'm not threatened by your differences. I'm not threatened, and you're not threatened by my differences. We, 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 we can still have fellowship. This is a mystery that Ephesians chapter 3, verses um, 10 to, um, to 12, um, those verses talk about, where the, this is a mystery, God's intention, that through the, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God, throughout all to see that how God can bring people are so different together and they have harmony. They are, they are, they are in accord, one accord. The word discord in, in the Hebrew is the word um, medan, M-E-D-A-N. It means discord, strife, contention, quarreling. Sometimes you have some meetings and it's like a lick down, quarreling and bitterness and all kind of fighting and ha, 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 all kind of stuff happening in families, at workplaces, um, in, in businesses, 
um, in, in churches. What is that? This is what discord is. Galatians 5 verse 15 said, if you bite and defoul each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. Do we know what that is? If you bite, not literally, but it's like uh, out of rage and, 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 and devour. You, you want to chew up each other with your tongue and your, your, your ideas and your uh, all kind of place. Each other, watch out. The Bible says, watch out. Keep a guard or you will destroy each other. Guess what? Many of us love that because we we won. What? There's nobody winning here. We are more than conquerors already. I'm not in any competition. Both in your family, husband and wife. No, no. It's we. I win. I won. That no, no, no. That is rubbish. We are supposed to complement each other. There's a place for competition, but the Bible says spur one another on to good works in that sense. But we don't tear down each other trying like crab in a barrel trying to get out. Like crabs in a barrel trying to get out and a stronger one just climb upon the others. And James 4 verses 1 to 3. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires to bat that battle within you? You desire, but you do not have. So you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want. So you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend and get your pleasures. This, this is our prayer life and what we want and what we think we want for the church and, and, and for each other and our families, if, if, for your family too. We have to be careful that, that, that um, this is all involved in sowing discord. What is our motive? Is it, is it, is it driven by pride? Many of us are, are, are intoxicated by pride. We are intoxicated by bearing false witness. We're intoxicated by these things. It's like an addiction. We're addicted to pride. The seeds of discord, not accord. This is contrary to the life of the Trinity. And so, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, to watch out for those who cause divisions and put obstacles in your way that are contrary to the teaching you have learned. Keep away from them. That's what the word of God says. Romans chapter 16, verse 17. Obstacles in your way that are contrary to the teaching. What, what teaching? That they must be united in the centrality of, of the Christ in, 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 in the Trinity. That's the main teaching. Endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit in the body. But we have a standoff. Mutual love, Jesus said, love, I give you a new commandment that you love one another. 
as I've loved you, you must also love one another. Pastor, we know this. We'll move on to something else. No, 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 no. no. This is the purpose of the cross. This is why Jesus went to the temple. This is why he cleansed the temple. Because where you expect them supposed to be loving God, they were loving other things that were not pleasing to God. And the Bible said, these are the things that God hates. If you love the Lord Jesus Christ, then you'll hate whatsoever it is that brings dishonor to him. Much more could be said. And I'll be coming with a part two, the Lord willing. May God help us. May we understand the love that God hates. Do we love what God hates? Do we hate what God loves? If we love what God hates, it means that we love what Satan loves. May God help us to love what God loves and hate what God hates. And all those who are participating in that kind of stuff, watch out. God has spoken. Help us to love what God loves and love who God loves. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the truth of your word. We thank you for Proverbs 6, verses 16 to 19. Oh God, that list there, Proverbs is theology in working clothes. Is the unpacking of, of what your heart is all about. You have just expressed your heart to us, oh God, what you love. Forgive us of not sharing what you love. Forgive us of loving what you hate. And help us to begin this day to love only what you love. As listed in this Proverbs 6, verses 16 to 19, may we hate these things too and the opposite of them may we love i pray all these things in jesus name amen